0: Hello, everybody, and everybody, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. Welcome to the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. Um, I just had a couple of technical issues. I apologize for that little hiccup. Joining me today from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania is Scott Smeltzer. Hi, Scott. How are you?
1: Hi, Drew.
2: I'm doing well. How are you today?
0: Doing very good. And also from Gettysburg is Stephen. Hi, Stephen.
3: Hey Drew, welcome everybody.
0: And from Exton, Pennsylvania is Jeff Smelts. There's Jeff. Jeff, you coming in? You're gonna say hi?
1: Yes, I am coming
3: in to say hi.
0: <laughs> okay, great. And Noah's with us also, our webcast engineer. Welcome everybody. We're glad you're here.
3: And I'll go ahead and apologize in advance. I'm on the uh, upswing from a cold. So if I sound like that today, uh, that that is the case. So I apologize in advance for that. Be- just,
0: if you're gonna sneeze cover your mouth i don't we don't want to give the audience that cold that's right that and goes.
2: we don't want to give their computer the virus
0: <laughs> oh, very good very good nice um if you're coming in through the app obviously you already know this but use the q a box to text in your questions or raise the hand raise your hand with that little hand icon and let us know if you want to come in with using phone your uh, audio rather on the on the computer.
3: And coming in through Facebook, then just leave your comment or question in the comments below, and we will do our best to get to that promptly.
0: Okay, so let's get really. This one's this one's going to be a tough one, guys. I don't know if you can really give us a good answer on this. I, I don't remember where this. Oh, it came from Victor a couple weeks ago, maybe. Where did Solomon inherit all the gold for the for the temple?
2: And Jeff, I think you are muted.
1: I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was.
0: There you go. So, so Jeff, where did all that gold come from? Or Scott, where did all that gold come from that uh, saw? Did he inherit it? Did he steal it? Did he find it?
2: Somebody had a text on this. <laughs> I, don't, I think we said that'll be answered e rather quickly. Somebody mentioned a text. I don't remember which text.
3: One of the things we do know is that David, the king before him, helped a good bit in making preparations for the temple. And part of that was in gathering a good bit of the supplies for the temple. Um, it's uh, trying to find the reference here real quick. Um, if you look at First Chronicles twenty nine, uh, one through nine, uh, you've got a summary of offer, free will offerings made from the people of Israel for the temple, um, including uh, down in verse seven. They gave for the service of the house of God five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, eighteen thousand talents of bronze, and one hundred thousand talents of iron. My understanding is a talent. It was about seventy-five pounds. That's a yeah. lot of precious metals. So. And, and
0: we know, and that you're talking about the people gave that, right? The, that's was, correct. Yeah. And we know where they got that from.
3: Egypt. Well, yeah, uh, some they of it. The, they,
0: they took a lot of gold and valuables from Egypt. So that's one source, right?
3: Uh, yeah, and it's also notable that David was a man of war. Uh, Israel uh, had conquered a lot of their enemies during that time. I suspect they would have plundered their enemies at different points during David's reign, um, and that would have been, to some extent, distributed among the people.
0: Was, Jeff, David, was, was David the first king, or was it Saul? Who they? Somewhere the reference says that they took ships to go to, and I can't pronounce it, Ophir? Yep.
1: Yeah, so in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 21 and 22... All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea the ships of Parshish with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Parshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. And I was thinking this was the passage that would go ahead and identify Ophir as one of the places from which uh, the gold came. But I'm missing that right now as to where that reference was. So I have to look that yeah, up. I
0: think it was earlier than Solomon that ships were going to Ophir. I could be wrong.
1: Well, it's back up in verse 11 of 1 Kings 10. also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, there it is. brought in from Ophir a very great number of almond trees and precious stones and so on. And then it goes on and discusses the gold at length in the next several verses uh, so, Oprah, if I remember right, was down in what would be modern-day Saudi Arabia, in the uh, Arabian Peninsula. Let me grab a map, real quick.
0: While you're doing that, um, did I hear you say this real quick that, uh, on the map? Gold didn't have that much value at the beginning at that time.
1: Silver. They were saying silver. No, oh, silver. silver. Okay. Silver was not regarded as valuable. They had so much gold. As my bother was silver?
2: And three thousand talents of gold. If say roughly seventy-five pounds per talent, two hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds of gold just in in that reference.
1: I'll pull up a map here in just a second. Over there are two regions in in a map on a map that I have in the old um, Baker's Bible Atlas down at the uh, southern point of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and then also over toward the. Um, Eastern point where the Persian Gulf, the mouth of the Persian Gulf, empties out onto the into the Indian Ocean, but I'll pull up a map here.
3: We have. A and cover. Herman
1: points out this: the blessing came from God.
2: He was promised that he will be a wealthy man. Uh, when instead of asking for wealth, he asked for wisdom, uh, it was given. Also, that he would have wealth.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about that actually when we were reading the 1st Kings 10 reference to how silver wasn't considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Right after that in 1st Kings 10:23 it says, "Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom." And that's a fulfillment of what God promised to Solomon after he asked for wisdom uh, earlier in 1st Kings I think it's also notable uh, when David is collecting the free will offering for the temple in 1st Chronicles 29 after he gets all those you know tens of thousands of pounds of gold and silver and bronze he offers a prayer right after that and he acknowledges that God is the one to give all of this and he even says in 1st Chronicles 29 verse 14 but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own. Have we given you David recognized that we're, we're giving this willingly, but we're giving it right back to God. God's the one who gave it to us. And, and that's a really powerful perspective for all of us to have. That Even when we give generously from whatever it is, uh, it's God who's first, given it to us. There's actually a song we sing sometimes called, uh, we give thee, but thine own that I think comes from that expression of David there.
0: Yeah. And I've heard uh, several times, uh, brethren, when before the contribution, they'll make a prayer recognizing that everything we have is yours. Anyway, Lord, and we're just giving you back a portion of yours.
2: Yvette just pointed out from first Kings 10 verse two, the queen of Sheba brought quote, very much gold with her.
3: Yeah.
0: All right, a lot, lot of gold
2: going around.
0: A lot of gold going back and forth, which is a perfect segue to go from the gold to the abyss.
1: There you go. <laughs> let, let me um, say something real quick here. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but I am suddenly going to have to leave. Um, I just, uh, uh, I won't explain, but I'm going to have to leave. All right. But I'll mention this map here real quick, Of course, Jerusalem will be up here. And Ofer is identified as being down in this region and this region. And so that's, so for what it's worth, but I am going to have to take off. And so Lord willing, I'll see you all next week. All right. Take care, Jeff. Which brings up after these first
2: two questions, we were going to go to Jeff to discuss uh, a lecture. He did uh, last week at SITS conference. uh, And Jeff is not here. So audience, Uh, If you've got a question about anything, it would be a real good time to send it in. But we do have another question here, and Drew, you want to take us to that one?
0: Yeah, it says, um, I just had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses stop by. They alluded to the fact that after Jesus died, he had a, a job to do throwing Satan to the earth. They, the Jehovah's Witness, quoted a verse from Revelation 12. Because of this, Satan cannot be in the abyss. If he wasn't on the earth, people would not be in sin. I think they were throwing me somewhere else, as I had asked how they explained the kingdom hasn't come yet, because Jesus said his kingdom would come when he sat at the right hand of God, which is where he is now. Uh, so I guess my question is this. At what point was is Satan thrown into the abyss? Uh, that question, that's the first time I read it. I've heard you guys reading and talking about it before, but I just read it. And as I'm reading it, I'm a little confused as to what the questioner, uh, it, it's a good question, but I'm, I got confused back and forth, who's saying what and when. So maybe you can start off by... So the
1: Jehovah's
2: Witnesses... Yeah, so, it sounds like she was bringing up, in fact, let's look at it in Revelation 12, and we'll see the point she was making and um, I'm not sure why they didn't. talking
0: about she, the question of joy. Joy, yes, was yes. okay.
2: So she would have been making the point that the kingdom came when Christ ascended to the right hand of God. So look at Revelation chapter 12. We'll just start with that. Revelation 12, a great sign was seen in heaven, a woman arrayed with the sun, the moon under her feet upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. She's with child. She cries out, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So we see a pregnant woman and then we see something else. What do we see in verse three?
0: Another sign seven beard. Red
2: now, if, if there is a pregnant woman about to give birth and a giant red dragon, we would kind of like them not to be in proximity. And yet that's where there is. And not only has the dragon noticed a woman, he's got a purpose What's he waiting to do in verse four?
3: He is waiting.
2: Well,
3: he's uh, the dragon stood before the woman who is about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it.
2: Yeah. And so this is really a pretty hopeless scene here. Let's just take a minute to appreciate that. If you're looking at at, uh, a scene that you can't get to, to do anything about and here on one side, is a great red dragon. And on the other side is a woman and a pregnant woman and a pregnant woman in labor. Who does it look like is going to win? (laughs)
3: There's no chance for the woman. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think part of the purpose of this image is to help the, the early Christians who are facing persecution and here's the Roman empire, which is going to be persecuting them. It looks so powerful. How could we survive? Well, just because something looks hopeless. David and Goliath, you know, if you were a a bookie had been back then, you know, where would you put the odds in that battle? And yet what happens? She delivers the child, but instead of him being devoured by the dragon, the child, what happens? He is the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, which immediately reminds us of which psalm? Psalm 2. Psalm 2, the messianic psalm. And her child was caught up to God into his throne.
0: Where are you reading, Scott? So the audience knows. Where are you reading? This is
2: Revelation 12, verse 5. So by now we should know who the child is. What child was born and then later ascends to the right hand of God, fulfilling Psalm 2 about the Lord and his anointed ruling with a rod of iron? The child is obviously who?
0: Jesus the Christ.
2: Yes. And now we don't have to wonder who the dragon is because in verse nine, we find out who the dragon is. Who is the dragon?
3: Satan. Called the devil and Satan, yeah. the deceiver of the whole world.
2: Yeah. And so after verse five, instead of the child being destroyed, this son uh, is to rule the nations with the rod of iron. Psalms to ascends to the right hand of God Verse 7 says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon. The dragon warred in his angels. And who wins this battle? Michael. Yeah. And so, and here's where we get to this issue of Satan cast down. The great dragon was cast down the old serpent. He that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was cast down to the earth. So he'd been pictured in heaven. And at the ascension of Christ, he is thrown down. After that, he is thrown down to the earth. And so there, this is kind of good news, bad news. In heaven, the angels are saying what? Verse 10.
0: Salvation and power, kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers yes. has been thrown down.
2: And this would have been the point that joy was making to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, my translation says, now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom. So when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, Jesus begins his rule, which fits also with uh, Psalm 110, which fits with Acts 2, which fits with Jesus saying, repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand, etc., etc which fits after the day of Pentecost, Paul saying in Colossians that they were already in the kingdom, which fits with Revelation 1-9, that they were already in the kingdom. So this is when the kingdom comes. Jesus is ascended. Satan is defeated. And so she's made this point to the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they responded by saying that, well, he can't be in the abyss now because if he's in the abyss um, and they would say the the kingdom has yet to come. It hasn't come. And uh, in chapter 19, he's, Satan is going to be in the abyss. And they say, if he was in the abyss, there'd be no sin in the world. How I would reply to that would be this. In the book of Revelation, we see Satan in different places. Heaven, earth, abyss, earth, finally lake of fire. Sin on earth is, isn't related to whether or not he's above the earth below the earth or on the earth because think of it before Satan was cast down to the earth was there sin in the world yeah yes so revelation doesn't mean there's no sin there's no temptation no there's sin and temptation that's why Satan is described as the accuser of the brethren what's he accusing the brethren of Sin, yeah. What did he want Adam and Eve to do? Sin. He's a temporary. But and of course, we shouldn't think of this too geographically. This is this is a figurative book. His power, his power over us, is dethroned. He before the death of Christ, physical death and spiritual death had not been conquered. On Friday, Jesus made the way out of spiritual death. On Sunday, he made the way out of physical death. Satan. I shouldn't say dethroned because he wasn't on a throne, but he was. He his power over us of death is gone. His right to accuse us is gone. Stephen
3: and, and I think also uh, Hebrews two helps with this because it talks about that power of death, where it says uh, Hebrews two fourteen. Hebrews 2, chapter 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that is Christ, himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So here it talks about it it is Jesus' death that destroys the one who has the power of death. And again, it doesn't mean that Satan is somehow right. gone after Jesus' death, but there was a power that Satan had through death. And when Jesus died, he snatches that power from Satan, uses his own weapon against him, and then, of course, he's raised from the dead. Um, to defeat and we, him. Have,
2: we have language in Daniel and in Revelation that the, this beast and this heart, there was... It was given range to make war against the saints. And if you think about the book of J, Job, to an extent uh, was Satan allowed to kind of make war against Job? There were certain limitations on it, but he was, he was allowed to do that. Um, and he was allowed to do this other. And while he did that, he was deceiving the nations. In fact, the the, uh, um, Riding back and forth between one of the Roman governors and one of the Roman Caesars, uh, or one of the Roman emperors, uh, Trajan and Pliny is very interesting because they are talking about if Christians will worship Caesar and worship the gods and curse Christ, they should be forgiven. You know, if they'll repent, they should be forgiven. So everything was just upside down. In Revelation twenty, it's he's restrained, he, he's locked in the abyss and chains so that he cannot do what he had been doing in the deceiving nations that way. But he's not thrown into the lake of fire yet. His allies that he had been using had just been thrown into the lake of fire. He wasn't. Instead, he's chained up. You know, if your neighbor has a pit bull that's been running around loose and then he chains him up, doesn't mean that you still can't get bit if you go over around the chain. Drew?
0: Yeah, uh, so the bottom line here then is the Jehovah's Witnesses are saying that Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of Father.
2: Or that he didn't he didn't his kingdom didn't come. Okay, so and I, then
0: guess they, they, I guess I guess then they cross out this they redact the word they use today. They redact these verses that Peter says in Acts. I mean this this is clear to me. Acts two, thirty two there,
2: there there are a lot of things that are misrepresented by the Jehovah's Witnesses. This would be one of many, 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 many
0: It says there, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received the fog from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. Here's the key. You can't see Jesus up there sitting at the right throne because it's spiritual and he's in heaven. But what you can see is the miracles that you're seeing right now, the power of the Holy Spirit. What you see here
2: is the evidence
0: yeah. and evidence of what you can't see. So I guess Peter was wrong here, according to the Jehovah's Witness.
2: And let's let's finish this, maybe, unless one of you have a comment, because we've got a really good question that just came in. I sure, think it'd sure. be good for us to spend time on. But one of the passages Peter quotes in uh, Acts 2 is, of course, Psalm 110. And just note this in that psalm. Psalm 110, probably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It
3: is. It is the most quoted.
2: All uh, right, thanks to you. The Lord... Says to my Lord, and that will be Yahweh. Says to my Adon, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies, and then, of course, in the latter part of verse four, uh, you are a priest forever after the role of Melchizedek. So he's king and priest. And notice, where is he sitting? At the right hand of God. Where does Peter identify? He had ascended to the right hand of God. So all the premillennial idea that Jesus is going to reign on the earth, no, he doesn't reign on the earth. He reigns at the right hand of God. And the premillennial idea has Jesus beginning his reign after he's defeated all the enemies. Exactly opposite we find here in the biblical text. Sit on my right hand and rule until I make your enemies your footstool. Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus will reign until all the enemies are defeated. And the last enemy to be defeated will be death. Then he turns the kingdom back over to the Father. So Christ's reign is not on earth. It's at the right hand of God. It's not after all the enemies have been defeated. It's until all the enemies have been defeated. And he rules in the midst of enemies. All right. Uh, any comment on that or somebody want to take us to the question that Lori just sent, which I think looks really good.
3: Yeah. So Lori just sent me the question and she asks, uh, it seems like different stages of life make us prone to some unique temptations. We often talk about the temptations teens and young adults face, but could you discuss some of the temptations that may be extra difficult to deal with in middle and old age? And that really is true. There's lots of times where we talk a lot more about what young people face, particularly, and in some ways, rightly so. We've got a tough generation right now that kids are growing up in. But the Bible does address uh, some other challenges that uh, certainly come up the older we get. What are y'all's thoughts on that?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll, Scott, I want you to deal with that, but let me just add something to it since I'm the oldest one here at the table. The temptations you have when you're younger. Don't go away. You still are tempted in old right. age, but there's more added.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: that, that's, you know, flee youthful lusts uh, is, is the passage there in Timothy, and those have to be fleed uh, from. flee, is that the right? I'm not sure I used fleed? the word. I'm not sure <laughs> the passage flu. Well, uh, and clarify. be avoided at whatever age we are, and they're especially prone for the youth, but they're, I think it's a good point that a lot of things are still tempting uh, to people when they're older, but then there's a new set of temptations come along as well. So what are some of those things that what are some, let's think of some biblical characters who maybe started off well and later didn't do so well.
3: Well, Solomon is certainly One of those, I think we see, we don't know everything about his later years, but we do know that he was led astray uh, by his wives. Um, If we take the book of Ecclesiastes to be written by Solomon, I I suspect it was. um, It is interesting that in Ecclesiastes 12, we we have a poetic description of old age uh, that Paul talks about, where he, and that's the passage where we talk to About young people, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, "I have no pleasure in them." And then he goes into a a lengthy description of some of the challenges of old age—that just your your body is falling apart, and things aren't easy anymore, and um, things are 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 just more difficult. There's more fear. Um, So that's that's the process that comes to mind.
2: I think one of the temptations of old age, and I'll give you an illustration of it, and then let's think about biblically. How many times have you seen this or heard of this? Parents, when they have their children, they're they're strict and firm, and they discipline their children. And then when their grandparents they see their grandchildren being disciplined by their parents, and now suddenly grandma and grandpa who used to not put up with that and used to know when a spanking was needed. Now grandma and grandpa say what?
0: Oh, oh, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And spiritually speaking, um, you look, let's take a, I don't know if we know, I don't know that we know, all about the details of his life across the board. But Eli seems to be a man that fears God. But when he's older and has grown sons, he doesn't like what they're doing. And he seems to almost twine,
1: Oh, why do you do that? But they're lying with women,
2: you know, at the tent of meeting They're they're, they're extorting their, they're abusing their position. And he's, he's, he's judged and judgment comes upon him and his children because he put up and he tolerated with it, even though he disapproved. And there's a tendency, I think, as we get older to start tolerating some of the zeal um, that sometimes identifies a young person. And I'm willing to stand against that. I'm willing to be made fun of for that. I'm willing to, you know, mark the line in the sand and say, who's going to stand for the Lord. And sometimes as we get older, maybe we get battle weary maybe we get or whatever there can be a tendency to let it go and which which king was faithful when he was young and then when he is older we we see that change and doesn't he put to death the one that protected him Uh, am i thinking right when he was younger it's one of the things you're thinking of it's one of the ones that begin with a J, which is the most common <laughs> letter for Hebrew names. Uh, There's
0: it a lot of J's.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not Josiah. Josiah stayed good. Um, am I thinking of Joe Ash? Somebody help me out here.
0: I can't Sorry. read your mind. I, I don't know who you're thinking of, and I don't know.
2: Right. Holly Green points out Saul. Saul started off uh, he might have had some weaknesses all along, but as he, he, time went by, he didn't get better and better. He got worse and worse.
0: Yeah. And David, yeah. although David was a man of, after God's own heart, he really gets into trouble with his sin later on after he's a king. Yes. I mean, he repented and he was sorry for it, obviously. Uh, and I think you already you already said this, Solomon. He He really, at the end of his life, is... Is misled because of all his wives and the pagan idolatry.
1: Yeah. And
2: David seems to be too permissive with his children. Um, his daughter says uh, to her brother when he's about to take advantage, just just ask the king; he'll give you whatever you want. Whether that was a diversion, you know, uh, to try to escape the moment or not, um, you know, you you wouldn't likely say that about somebody who was known to not give their
0: children whatever they wanted. So that's one uh, type of temptation that yeah. would be difficult as you're growing over. Can you think of any others? What comes to my mind is, uh, you know, you, when you're older, you you've, you get a sense that you've really accomplished a lot for those. You know, you accomplish a lot, and but it's not enough, so you want more. Whether it be more women, more money, um, or in the case of women, they want to, they want more at that end of the life than that, what they had earlier in their life. So when
2: and Jack, that, can, does it do with it? that can tie into like the midlife crisis, you know, yeah. some men sometimes do some really foolish things once they have midlife crisis.
3: Yeah. you know. I think, go ahead, Steve. I think also, I don't know um, how firm this example is, but, but Gideon is kind of interesting because of course we all always remember Gideon for he and his 300 men and the courage that he has. No Gideon takes some, convincing to get to that point but just some courageous things but later in his life remember after he does that they want to make him king and he says no like i'm not going to be king god's your king but later on in his life uh, it mentions that he names his son abimelech then the name abimelech means my father is king yeah and so it may be that pride had gotten to gideon later in his life uh, even though he started out humble after the lord gave him a great victory uh, I wonder about David and Bathsheba. You know, after the Lord had done so much for David and he conquered in all these battles, and then it all starts out when he's supposed to be out at war, and he stays home and he's lounging on the roof, and and that's where it all started. Uh, that there wasn't some pride in previous accomplishments that went with that.
2: Yeah, that can happen. Here's another one. Just kind of getting tired listen to this both from second Thessalonians 3 and Galatians second Thessalonians 3 verse 13 ye brethren be not weary in well doing galatians chapter 6 verse 9 let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not uh, and so we can just get get weary and kind of stop putting forth the effort. Uh, you, you think of some of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, you know, you've left your first love. And here's another one in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 8. If these things are yours, the virtues just listed and abound, they make you to not be idle or unfruitful. Verse 9, he that lacks these things is blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. So if a person who has done plenty of sin themselves, and then they've turned to the Lord and they've served him for years, if after a while they start to trust in themselves that they are righteous and set all others at naught, and be so glad that I'm not like these stupid, foolish young people today. Well, you know, have you have you forgotten? Yeah. And sometimes we can we can forget how foolish we've been. Stephen,
3: mm-hmm. um, we had a couple comments Steven. come in. Uh, we had asked earlier about if there's one of the kings who later on uh, you know, did disservice to one who had helped him. It is Joash, Second uh, Chronicles twenty four. Lori commented. Joash killed Jehoiada's son, Second Chronicles 24, when he was older. In Second Chronicles 24, um, verse 22, uh, thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And, uh, and when he was dying, he said, may the Lord see and avenge. So yeah, that it is uh, Joash.
0: Wow, that's good, Lori. In fact, I, let me just go on a limb here. I think we've got the smartest audience on the planet. Now, I've heard that said about another talk show on uh, on radio, but uh, our, our audience has got some good uh, comments and questions as well.
3: The audience is very helpful. Yeah, Laurie also uh, comments and says, um, or excuse me, I think you had read that one earlier. So, guys,
0: I just want to add, ask the audience a little bit further. So we come up with a couple of things because the question was asked by Lori, uh, could you discuss some temptations that may be extra difficult to deal with in the middle and old age? And we just talked about two, two or three. Are there other ones you and the audience want to throw out? And by the way, on the app, you can also ask your questions and comments anonymously. You don't have to ask so that your name doesn't show up if you feel you want to be anonymous. But are there other ones that we've been leaving out? Okay, Scott, I interrupted you. Go ahead.
2: Along with some of what else we said, just getting looser on doctrine. Just mm-hmm. just a, a, a des- not willing to maybe stand where a person needs to stand or not willing to face a battle that needs to be fought. Uh, I don't mean keeping on being contentious about things that don't biblically matter. But just a tendency, and churches can do this. Um, You know, if you're starting off and you're like, you want to stand for what's right, stand for what's right. But as more and more people come in, the easier thing to do with sin is what? What's the easy thing to do? Compromise. Yeah.
0: I've heard it said, uh, you might hear the term, I'm sure you have. Oh, that preacher was really great in his young years, but he seemed to have lost the fire in his belly. And I think that's what you're addressing. We we don't have that fire to get in there and and confront sin and evil as we used to. That's a major, uh, I think, uh, temptation to give in, compromise.
3: Yeah, and you know sometimes I think there there may be a desire, and this may be particular for preachers as as you get older to make a name for yourself. And one of the ways to make a name for yourself is with a particular teaching or a particular view that you kind of spearhead or kind of uh, get accepted in different places. Cause when you believe the same thing and you keep believing the same thing and you keep believing the same thing. I don't know if some people just feel like, well, maybe we've all been wrong on that or what, whatever, but we've got to just keep coming back to God's word It's like
0: what just came in from Cassie, Cassandra, it says like to compromise when a close family member or friend is in a particular sin. We'll put up with, you know, we won't put up with sin until all of a sudden it may be closer to us. And we seem to.
2: Oh yeah. A lot of people seem to change their convictions. You know, when it was somebody else, they were convicted, they were convicted. And then suddenly when it's in their family, we have reevaluated it's that not text such a, yeah, like,
1: and, Suddenly,
0: it's not such a big problem. I got to rethink this one.
2: Yeah, sudden, right? There's much tendency to that, Stephen.
3: Yeah, I remember watching a, a YouTube video sermon about uh, someone who had just changed their stance on homosexuality, and they went into all these biblical reasons that they mm-hmm. thought it was okay, and how they changed their mind on Romans one and this and that. And then toward the end of the sermon, they talked about how their son. Had come out as being homosexual. I was like, well, you go. That's. Yep. It's later in the sermon, but I suspect that came first and then the changing of the mind on these clear biblical texts. Yeah. Uh, Dana also brings up what about losing your love for the lost? Losing, I'm sorry. What about losing your love for the lost?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it takes effort and work.
3: Yep. You know, that's one thing I appreciate about Paul. It's interesting that we have snapshots from different times in Paul's life. And of course he comes to the Lord. I'm not sure exactly how old he is when he's converted, but i um, in Damascus. He's already proclaiming the gospel, you know, after his conversion and, and even to the end, you know, second Timothy, right. you just see him contending and trying to train Timothy and help him out and, he just doesn't slow down even when he's in right. prison. Right. And there's a there's an unquenchable zeal about Paul that is, I suspect one of the reasons the Lord chose him to write so much of the New Testament that we can just see that.
0: So so he didn't he didn't outlive his uh, command where he says don't grow weary. He lived it.
3: Yeah. You know there's a song
2: and it has Stephen, I'm sure you'll recognize the, the song quicker than I will, the idea of, Lord, let me never, ever outlive my love for thee.
3: Yes, it's the very oh. last phrase of, O Sacred Head. Um, and it says, um, oh, "Oh, um I'm trying to remember the beginning of the line. Uh, well, the, the last verse is, um, What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow? Thy pity without end, oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be? There you go. Let me never, never outlive my love for thee. And of course, that song is helpful because, well, how do we keep that zeal? Well, right, we remember right. Jesus suffering, and let that continue to motivate our love. And notice the
2: word there. And you know, should I fainting be? And that's exact warning there in Thessalonians and in uh, Galatians. Be not weary in, well, I guess it didn't use the word faint, but uh, be not, a similar idea, be not weary in well-doing.
3: Although it may be in the Old King James, of faint not in doing good. I think that might be. Maybe, the, maybe so. There. Cool. But that is the idea is that we, we get weary. We, we, we faint in doing good. And as we get older, you're talking about as we get older
0: and, Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, certainly in any age we can face discouragement. But uh, when our bodies are not cooperating as much and just we've seen a lot of years uh, of of battle, it can be easier to to grow weary.
2: On this comment, to compromise when a close family member or friend is in particular, in in the illustration about the person whose son had become homosexual, we, we go back to Eli. And he
1: disapproves... Why do you do
2: such things? But the text says he did not restrain them. And that was, that was the, the accusation the Lord brings against him. You, he did not. It, it's one thing to really take a stand against something, and it's another thing to sit back in inactive disapproval. And uh, you, you think of uh, even when David, um, when Absalom dies, which, of course, he was saddened over. But you remember what Joab said, he said, you know, so all of your friends, you, you would have rather all of your friends have died than your enemy to have died the way you're acting.
3: Yeah, that's a powerful section there. You know, something else that can happen uh, is to become more set in your ways. Oh, yes. And that if yes. your ways are good, that can be a good thing. Yes. But if your ways are just a preference, that can be a bad thing. Um, and this is, of course, what every generation kind of faces. The younger people look at the old people and say, oh, you're just so old and set in your ways. And and there's a temptation for younger people to just reject wholesale the ways of the older generation because they're, well, that's just their old fuddy-duddy ways. And there has to be on the part of both generations yes. both willingness to come back, examine what we're doing, why we're yeah. doing it, study the word and stand in the word. Even if it's something you've been practicing for a long time and you realize you're wrong about it. Uh, that was one thing I really appreciated. We got to see a man uh, yesterday, 89 years old, uh, yeah. obey the gospel. And he could have easily just said, well, I've been doing you know, things this way for a long time now. And, but he was willing to uh-huh. changes he needed to make in his understanding of things. And he wanted to, to be baptized. And, so, and, uh, uh,
2: so in fact, a few weeks ago on a different topic that he was kind of confused on, he, he said, I'm confused. This other topic said, I believe this other thing, For 80 years, and there's not many people I've (laughs) I've studied with who had believed something for for 80 years. Um, But for us to remain, like you said, Stephen, open, uh, searching the scriptures is what they did in Berea. And it doesn't say the Bereans were young and needed to search the scripture. You know, whatever the age there were, they needed to search. And having that receive with meekness the implanted word. Uh, cause you hear, I've heard statements like this. You guys might have too. well, I've been preaching for 20 years. Well, I've been preaching for 40 years. Well, I've been a member of for, for 40 years and I've never, as if that makes something right or wrong.
0: Well, I've heard the term and I'm sure you have too, where it's, someone will say, well, you, uh, uh what is it? A leper can't change its spots so that people can't change. Well, that 89 year old man disproves that one.
3: Yep. Mm hmm. That's powerful and and just I think one of the things that's just interesting about every stage of our life is there's going to be unique temptations to each stage of our life and there's going to be unique benefits to each stage of our life. Mm -hmm. Our culture right now kind of worships youth and really everybody wants to look young and, and act young and all these things. And it's important to remember that the scriptures give a lot of honor to those who are advanced in years and have seen a lot more and have a lot more experience and that there are, there are blessings uh, that that come with age And the scriptures speak a good, a good bit to those. I know we're about to run out. That's a millennial
0: speaking there, isn't it, Scott?
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Our our resident millennial. Uh, Yeah, we are about out of time. Just tying into that one last comment to, for Old Older people don't need to resent younger people. They, people that are serving the Lord that are younger is a great, great blessing. People who have served the Lord for many years and continue to are a great, great blessing. Uh, there are some older people who don't have the wisdom that you know the color of their hair suggests they should have, and there are some younger people who did not do what Josiah did, set it's hard to serve God. But when you have people that want to serve God, There needs to be a real appreciation from the the older brethren to appreciate these zealous young soldiers, you know, coming into play, and an appreciation from the younger for the elder. And when people really want to serve God, that that appreciation goes both ways.
0: Well, that's a good note to close on. Thank you very much, everyone, for your input your questions from the audience. Thank you guys. And uh, look forward to seeing you next week at Tuesday on Tuesday at 2pm.
3: Thanks, everybody.